That's one of my favorite songs. I tend to just I sing it lightly and listen to the ladies. It's so, so, so beautiful. If you guys ever want to hear great renditions of that, uh, I know they have like in uh, Alabama and stuff like that. They'll have the different uh, uh, teen events where thousands of teens will come from around the country and they'll fill up the atriums in these hotels and they'll have literally, you know, a couple thousand of the teens singing those songs in all the different parts. And it's, I tell you what, it just sounds so beautiful. Just like you guys sounded here today, it sounded wonderful. And God is absolutely glorified. And so Dagwood, I want to thank you for reading scripture here this morning. And I want to thank uh, Thomas for the great job that you did on the table and, and both Pats for their prayers and the song leading. And why do I, have I been thanking them here recently? Well, because they're the next generation of leaders in this congregation. Uh, as you guys, you know, Dom uh, read last week and then you had Dagwood and then Aiden and, and Noah and other ones who have been reading. Uh, these are the next generation and it's important that we get our young men uh, you know, involved in the worship services and in the and, and in all aspects, because we need these uh, we need these guys to step up. Uh, unfortunately, we just lost you know Steve, uh, who was a, a big part of this congregation, who was a deacon uh, in the Lord's Church, and so we need these next generations to to kind of step up and to, to to lead the way and to help lead the way. And so we need to keep that in mind. So for for our men in the congregation who are hearing that, and maybe yet you haven't found your place. Maybe we need to think about the elders. We could talk here soon and talk about starting up a, a leadership class uh, to train up the next generation of deacons and elders uh, so that way they could really understand uh, what's expected of them. And so that's something maybe I think we should talk about here soon. But on the screen behind me, you've seen, you see, what is, what is our purpose? You know, this lesson is actually born of a lesson uh, for the Downriver uh, uh, Spring Lectureship. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm leading off the, 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 the class on, on this Thursday, and I thought it was, what is our purpose? And so I put together a lesson on what is our purpose, and I went back and looked at the notes and it said, I'm supposed to be speaking about why we're here. So I'm like, well, great, I got my sermon done. So you guys get to understand what is our purpose, and then Thursday, if you come, you'll find out why we're here. And so, <laughs> and so what is our purpose, Right. You know, we all have heard that phrase, you've done that on purpose. You did that on purpose. Maybe it was when uh, one of Keeson's sisters uh, destroyed one of his Lego creations, right? Or maybe it was when, uh, you know, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the brothers ripped off their sister's dolls off their heads, you know what I mean? And said, you did that on purpose, right? We've all heard the phrase, you've done that on purpose. I know that's happened in my household when Aiden destroyed one of a uh, Noah's Lego creations. You know, that took him forever to build. And so you hear that phrase. But instead of looking at that phrase in, in a negative light, this morning I want to look at that phrase in more of a positive light. You know, because a year from now, I want us to be able to look back on 2023 as we got to mid to late April. And I want us to be able to say that we were purposeful in our faith. Because it's so very important to understand, really, what our purpose is as disciples of Christ. How many of us here uh, maybe have been a disciple for a minute and really aren't fully under, don't fully understand what our purpose is? And so who we are, why we're here, what is our, our God-given purpose? And so instead of simply sitting back and letting things happen or not letting things happen, I want us to be a church on purpose. And so I want us to think about that mindset here this morning. The question that we must ask ourselves is, are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to pay the price to accomplish God's purposes for our very lives? 
Are we willing to pay the price as a congregation to, be a, uh, to have a faith on purpose? And what do I mean by have a faith on purpose? Well, I think this first passage of Scripture that we see from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, really kind of sets the tone for this lesson. Because notice what Paul tells us here. He tells the people of Philippi, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Notice what it says in verse 14. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. Well, what is the Apostle Paul telling us there in verse 14? He's telling us that essentially that, that he is purposeful in all that he does on behalf of the kingdom. He's purposeful in all that he does on behalf of Jesus Christ. And so we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as disciples of Jesus, we need to press on towards the goal. But you can only press on towards the goal if you understand, going backwards, what is our purpose? And so, brethren, it's important to understand what is the purpose of the church. What is the purpose that you and, and I have as individual disciples of Jesus Christ? And so I want us to look at a message, and I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that I have read before, and, uh, but I open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, and I've preached on it before in, in times gone by, but I want us to look at Genesis for a second, uh, chapter 11. Because as you get to Genesis chapter 11... We know it as the Tower of Babel, and you've often heard me say that when we get to, uh, when you look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, I've often said that you either believe all that is spoken or don't believe any of it. In Genesis 1 through 11, you either believe all that God's Word says or don't believe any of the Word. And the reason why is because many times Christians in various uh, uh, denominations and in, in different forms, are trying to explain away what we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. But in Genesis chapter 11, let's actually read verse 1 through 9. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks, and let us burn them uh, thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used uh, tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top, until, uh, 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 whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are, they are one people, and they all have the same uh, language. And this is what they begin to do. And now nothing which they purpose will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down uh, before them. Let's confuse their language that they, may not be, uh, that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the tower. And so, brethren, you look at those verses there in uh, the first eight uh, verses of, uh, of Genesis chapter 11. And when you look at that, the, the most important verse, I have it on the screen behind me as well now, is Genesis chapter 11 and verse 6. And I say it's probably the most important verse out of those because when you look at it in context of my sermon here this morning, my lesson, it says, the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have the same language. And this is what they begin to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. 
Well, why do I say that verse 6 of Genesis chapter 11 is probably the more important of the verses? Because it says that what they purpose to do will no longer be impossible for them. Why? Because they have unity amongst themselves. They speak the same language, so they speak one language. They want to have the tower built no matter what the cost. And they have a plan. They have a dream. They have a purpose. And they didn't simply just come up with an idea. They were willing to put the work in to make sure that their plan, their purpose, came to fruition. And so, brethren, unity doesn't mean that you have to agree on everything. We know that they, they had unity. They had a singleness of mind. They had a purpose. But unity doesn't mean that, that we agree on everything. Uh, unity simply means that they were working alongside one another with a common goal in mind. And so, brothers and sisters, where people are involved, you're never going to agree on anything. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how nice you are. I don't care what your mindset is. There's some people who just aren't going to like you. There's some people who are just not going to agree with you. Why? Because ideologically, you probably don't line up. And so, just like the crowds to where nowadays, with all the wokeism, what used to be wrong is right, and what used to be right is wrong, and you can see that there's not even a willingness to have conversation anymore. There's not even a willingness to hear, to listen to other people, and to find out where they're coming from, why they believe what they believe. Now we just spew all, all forms of nonsense and hatred. And so, unity doesn't mean, mean that you're always going to agree on everything. Where human beings are, are, are uh, involved, there's going to be disagreements. But we see in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 11 that there was unity. And we know how important unity was to Jesus Christ. We know how important it was to his church. Because notice what it says in this next passage of scripture. Jesus, when he was praying to God in, in, in the high priestly prayer of John chapter 17, notice what Jesus says. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Well, who are these? He's talking about his disciples, the apostles. He says, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that, they may, so that the world may know that you have sent me. You see, brethren, Jesus, before he was betrayed with the kiss, you understand what I mean? Before Jesus was betrayed with a kiss by Judas, in the, uh, outside of the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed that the church would be unified. And so we know, brethren, that here at Lincoln Park, we, have, uh, we are blessed in the sense that we have a congregation that has great unity. We have a congregation who has a love for one another, and that we do have a singleness of mind. We're not perfect church by no means. But we get along. We respect one another. We have great leadership. And we're willing to submit to the leaders, as the scriptures teach us to do, because we know that they're godly men who are leading us in the right direction. And so we don't have to deal with some of the common issues that other congregations, either locally or globally, are having to deal with these days. And praise God for that. Because if you've ever been a, if you've ever been a part of a congregation where there is strife, where there are cliques, where there are division, brethren, you know how uh, just how bad that really makes the, makes you feel. You don't even really feel like going to worship. You don't feel like going to social events or 
um, or church-related events. Why? Because you know of all the strife that is there. And it makes me think of what the psalmist had to say in Psalm 133 and verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers, they work together in unity. When they dwell together in unity. That's going back to Genesis 11 and 6. And God said, because they have one, they're one people, with one mind, with one language, with one purpose, now nothing will be impossible for them. And so, brethren, because they were using it for not really holy, righteous purposes, he spread them over the face of the earth. And so, God said, brethren, that Noah's descendants were going to be successful in the building whatever they desired to do. Whatever they desired to do. And so, they had a singleness of purpose. So I ask us here this morning, as we consider what our purpose is, what is the purpose of the Lincoln Park Church of Christ? What was Jesus' purpose? That's what we're here to talk about this morning. That's what we're here to see what the scriptures have to say. What does the scriptures say is our purpose? We could all actually go around and talk about, what do you think the purpose of the church should be? And I'm sure you'll probably get a whole myriad of various answers. But what does God say the purpose of the church should be? What does God say Jesus' purpose was? In Proverbs 19 and 21, we remember how smart uh, King Solomon was. This isn't on the screen behind me. But in Proverbs 19 and 21 in the English Standard Version, it says, Many are the plans that come to the mind of men, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will prevail. It is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And brethren, we understand that Jesus had a purpose. When I go back and I think about the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we see in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus finds himself in Capernaum. He finds himself in Capernaum, first in the synagogue. He's teaching and he's healing. And then he finds himself in Peter's, uh, Peter's house. And then after he shares a meal with Peter's family, after he heals Peter's mother-in-law, he continues to heal the multitudes that were coming to him. He gets a good night's sleep. The next morning we see that the people of Capernaum, they come and they try to persuade Jesus to stay a few more days. But Jesus tells them in Luke chapter 4, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Why does he say that he needs to do that? He says, for I was sent for this purpose. You see, brethren, Jesus had a purpose. He understood what his purpose was and he was willing to go out and to fulfill it no matter what the cost. In John chapter 12, Jesus is in Jerusalem at the beginning of the week uh, leading up to his crucifixion. And some of the Greeks come by to him in John chapter 12. And they speak to his uh, disciples and they say, we wish to meet with your teacher. We, miss, we wish to meet with Jesus. And Jesus in John chapter 12 and 23 and 24, which I don't have on the screen behind me, Jesus tells them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He tells them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruits. Brothers and sisters, three verses earlier than that, Jesus said, my, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this moment? He says, how can I say, Father, save me from this moment when it was for, my, it was for the purpose that I came to this moment? You see, brethren, Jesus knew what his purpose was. And so he says, Father, glorify your name, for it is for this reason I have come to this purpose. In John chapter 1 and verse, uh, in 1 John, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, the Son of God, it tells us that the Son of God appeared for the purpose to destroy the works of the devil. 
Brethren, so you go down, you look at the various passages of Scripture, and what do we see? We see that Jesus knew his purpose. He says, how can I say, Father, save me from this moment, for it is for this moment I came to this. Uh, I came for this purpose. So brothers and sisters, Jesus' purpose was to preach the kingdom of God. We see that in scriptures. Jesus' purpose was to save his people from their sins through his death and through his resurrection. We know that because going back to the angel who spoke with Mary, he says, you'll have a son, you'll name him Jesus, and he'll save his people from their sins. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Brethren, while we cannot miraculously save anyone in and of ourselves, we can't do that. Those, those things are long gone. Those things happened in the first century uh, as, the, as the Holy Spirit gave power to those early disciples. But our purpose as a church, our God-given purpose is to lead people to the one who can save them. So do you know your purpose? And if you know your purpose, are you willing to put the work in? Are you willing to pay the price in order to fulfill your purpose. Because who's given you that purpose? Your creator. And it's important to understand who our creator is and what our purpose is. It's our responsibility to evangelize the lost. Let me share a little secret with you. People who understand, Christians, disciples of Jesus Christ, who understand what their purpose is, they don't get caught up in the little squabbles in the church. You know why? They're busy fulfilling their purpose. They're not going to get caught up in the little cliques and in the little squabbles and the little he said, she said that many congregations have to deal with because they're focused. They got the blinders on and they're, they're, they're moving forward. They're looking constantly for somebody to, to, to help, somebody to plant a seed within to their hearts, somebody to help them to understand what their purpose is, what their role is as a disciple of Jesus Christ. They don't have time to get caught up in the problems that often divide us as a people. Brethren, God said that Noah's descendants in, the, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 11 at the tower were going to succeed because they had a focus. They had a singleness of purpose. Many people in our country today, they don't seem to have a sense of purpose. Many people in our country today, even outside of the church, really don't seem to have a purpose. They don't have a reason, and I believe that is why depression is so prevalent in our society today. That people, they wake up, and they don't have a sense of purpose. They don't know what they're supposed to do with themselves, what they're supposed to do with their lives. And that's why many people ask the question, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? You see, brethren, God tells us as his children, as his creation, he tells us what our purpose is. And many people, brethren, I'm t it's sad to say that there are those who even claim Christianity, who've been baptized for the remission of their sins, who if you were to ask them what their purpose is as a Christian, oftentimes can't tell you the right answer. And so how can that be? As God's creation, brethren, each of us must make a choice. We must make a choice to learn. Doesn't the Bible say to study to show yourself approved? 2 Timothy 2.15, right? as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. So we need to understand who we are, whose we are, what our purpose is. Because it's, it's, we have a choice to make. You either have to learn and fulfill your purpose in our lives, or you have to make the choice to completely abandon God, and abandon his purpose for your life, and go ahead and, and forge a path looking to fulfill your own course and your own destiny. 
Those are the only two choices you have. And if we're honest with ourselves, there are many people who call themselves Christians, air quotes, who are more interested in making money and getting ahead in life than they are with discovering or thus fulfilling what their God-given purpose is. There are too many people who are distracted by everything that's going on around them. There are too many people who call themselves disciples of Christ who are so distracted by the world that they, haven't, they don't have the time to search the scriptures. They don't have the time to try to figure out what's required of them, what their creator requires of them. And still more, there are those who just claim, well, I'm just too old now. What difference can I really make? You see, brethren, the author Mark Twain, he once wrote, the two most important days in a person's life are the day they are born and the, days, and, the, and the day that they figure out why. The two most important days are the day that you are born and the day that you find out why. Brethren, before I go any further, we need to really look at the word purpose. We need to understand what it means. The Cambridge Dictionary for the word purpose, it defines it as the reason for doing something. The reason for doing something or the reason something exists. So we need to ask ourselves, what is the reason for my existence? What is the reason for doing the things I do? Is it to glorify God or is it to further my own cause? Is it to further the kingdom or is it to really make my life easier? You see, brethren, the answers to those questions, what is the reason for my existence? What is my reason for doing the things I do? will really speak volumes about your faith. In Paul's letter to the people of Rome, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, and to those who are called according to his purpose. Those who are called according to his purpose. Paul said that living, godly, or living God's purpose involves living godly, living righteous lives in the here and now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but he's called us for the purpose of sanctification. He's called us to live holy, sanctified lives that are set apart from that of the world. Verse 4 of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, four verses prior to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul wrote, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. He's telling us that we have to abstain from sexual uh, immorality. He's telling us that each of us have to know how to, how to possess our own vessels, meaning how to possess our own bodies in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles do who don't know God. And so, brethren, it's telling us that no man transgresses and defrauds his brother can be found pleasing in the sight of God. And so we know how to conduct ourselves. You remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, his son in the faith, Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Discipline yourself. For what reason? For the purpose of godliness. Because we have been called to godliness. We have been called to sanctification. And for the purpose of godliness. Brothers and sisters, ultimately the purpose is for us to understand what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? The Apostle Paul, he wrote his letter to the people of Colossus in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, and he tells us, so that you will walk in the manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruits in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
You see, brethren, when you look at that passage of Scripture behind me in verse 10 there, Paul tells us what such a walk should look like. He tells us what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And that means that we are to please God in all respects. And so we need to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. How can we live lives pleasing to God if you know not what pleases God? I've often asked the question, people say, I want to go to heaven. Fantastic, so do I. But what are you doing to get to heaven? Do you understand what's required of you? Do you understand God's moral standards? And if you don't understand God's moral standards, how can you expect to go to heaven? If I go on vacation somewhere and I commit a crime that's a crime in another nation but may not be a crime in my nation, do I get to plead ignorance? Or should maybe I look to learn what the, the law of the land is before I do something that could cause me to have trouble? You see, brethren, God is not going to uh, allow ignorance to be an excuse. And we know that because Acts chapter 17, verse 30 tells us that. He tells us for, uh, for all mankind needs to repent. For the times of ignorance are over. For he is calling all people everywhere to repentance. And so, brothers and sisters, in verse 10, when we learn that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, we learn why, and that is to please God in all respects. We need to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And once we learn what is pleasing, we need to not just go through the motions, we need to do it from the hearts. Have you ever really thought about how much of your faith is going through the motions versus how much of your faith is doing things from the hearts? There's a, there's a vast difference between the two. And to please God, we need to keep bearing fruit of, for every good work, as we learn there in those passages. Jesus tells us in John 15 and 5, and it's not on the screen behind me, Jesus says, I am the vine, I, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For who does not abide in me bears no fruit. He says, you can do nothing if you're not in me. And if you're in me, you can abide, and you can bear much fruit. Well, what does it mean? What does it look like to bear much fruit? Well, maybe it's the fruit of the Spirit. You know those nine attributes. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You know those attributes that as we grow and mature in our faith, that are to, we are to uh, add to our faith, add to our attitude, add to our character. Brethren, we need to make sure that we're constantly being children of, uh, that are looking to add to our faith the fruit of the Spirit. But maybe the, the, the fruit that, that, we, that we are providing to every good work, maybe it's the people seeing the change in your heart, the change in your mind as we transform our hearts and minds with the very Word of God, as we prove to others what is good, acceptable, and perfect in the sight of God. Maybe that fruit is a, fable, a favorable response. A favorable response to the congregation, to you as an individual, as others examine your life, as they examine your walk, as they examine your attitude. Do you live according to the moral standards of God? Or do they say, oh, you're just another one of those Christian hypocrites? So brethren, maybe the fruit that you bear in your life is that favorable response by others outside of the church. Maybe it's the souls that you help bring to Christ because you're willing to take the seed out. You're willing to live the example. You're willing to do all that God has purposed you. Brothers and sisters, never forget that each of you are the creation 
of a loving and righteous God. And you are here to fulfill His purpose. And that purpose is to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord and to bring His message of salvation, to bring His gospel out into all the world. Brothers and sisters, as I close this lesson down, each of us must make a choice. You have to make a choice. You make a choice to either learn and fulfill God's purposes for your life, or you just completely abandon it and you do your own thing. There is no other option. There could be no half measures. Because Jesus says, I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold. And he says that because he wants you to be on fire for him. He doesn't want any half-hearted measures. He doesn't want a half-hearted approach. And so the choice that we make is going to determine our eternal destiny. With God, we're either going to spend it with God in a place of, uh, a place of eternal life and great joy, or we're going to spend it far away from God in a place of eternal torment. So brothers and sisters, I would simply ask you here this morning to, to really think about the choices that you're making. To think about really what is your purpose in this life. Are you, do you know what your purpose is? Do you have a plan to fulfill your purpose? And do you have a way to evaluate it along the way? To make sure that I'm on the right path. That I'm heading in the right direction. And that I am in fact pleasing to a holy and righteous God. Who tells us, who gives us the blueprint for how to be pleasing in his sight. So tonight, or today, we learn about our purpose. On Thursday, we'll learn about who we are. If you're here this morning and you need the prayers of the congregation, brethren, we would ask that you would come forward if you need to be baptized, if you need to be restored, if you, have, if you need the prayers of the congregation. Maybe you want to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Maybe it's been on your heart and your mind for a while, but you, you still haven't just found uh, the willingness or you haven't found it necessary to maybe get up out of the pew to come forward to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Brethren, I'm here to tell you that tomorrow is not guaranteed. Just turn on the news. Look at what's happening in our own congregation. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. If you wish to be a child of God, if you choose to be a child of God, today is the day that you can put on salvation. Now is the time. So if that is you and that is your desire, come forward as we stand and sing the song.